growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You and I and everybody else in this crazy world need something. We need hope. And hope comes to us, of all places, in a birth announcement. Few things are as joyous to receive as a birth announcement. Receiving news of a newborn baby is always exciting. But one particular birth announcement was the most important one the world has ever known. Can you guess what it is? This is, in fact, the very first birth announcement of the coming of the Messiah. And it started with Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Well, we've hardly had time for our Thanksgiving dinner to settle, and already the Christmas season is upon us. Today on Crosswalk, we're beginning a brand new series, especially for this season of the year. Birth Announcements is the title of this series, and as you may have already guessed, we're going to be looking to God's Word to see the announcements of God's Son coming to earth. We're kicking this series off today in a passage of Scripture that you might not normally think of when talking about the birth of Christ, but it is, in fact, the first place we find the promise of the one who would come to save the world. If you can open up a copy of God's Word, turn with us to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, as Pastor Clay explains to us the announcement of hope. I want to lead you to the cross. Have, uh, have you ever heard the saying, uh, just another day in paradise? Have you ever heard that saying? Just another day in paradise. I, I'm convinced that some guy in uh, Bora Bora or, or Fiji or Hawaii or the Caribbean or so, somewhere like that it came up with that saying. But the truth is, there have only ever been two people in the history of the world who could truthfully make that statement. I'm talking about Adam and Eve. The first man and the first woman. Today we're beginning a new series entitled Birth Announcements. And we're starting in a place where you might not often think about as far as a passage of Scripture goes when it comes to the Christmas season. But this is, in fact, the very first birth announcement of the coming of the Messiah. And it started with Adam and Eve. And it started in the garden. Adam and Eve were unique from us in that they were created. Uh, God took dust, dirt from the ground, and he formed Adam into a living being. And he took from Adam's side and created Eve. It was a supernatural creation. By the way, if you have a problem believing that, if you say, come on now, I mean, you're really, God took dirt and he, and he made a, a person. Well, think of it this way. Suppose you were to go back in time a thousand years, 500 years, maybe even a couple of hundred years, and you were to approach a group of people and you would say, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, this, this, I want you to know that in the future, Hundreds of people are going to get into this giant metal cylinder weighing hundreds of thousands of pounds. And, and, and they're going to fly through the air in that thing at hundreds of miles an hour. And they're going to, they're going to travel all over the world uh, in these giant flying metal cylinders that weigh hundreds of thousands of pounds with hundreds of people in it traveling at hundreds of miles an hour. 
What do you think those people would have said to you? Well, the first thing they would have said is, uh, nurse, nurse, because they're sure you need to be committed to the funny farm because that would be impossible to them. So if man can accomplish things that to those who have never experienced it would say that's impossible, then I have no problem believing that an all-powerful God can create a man from the dust of the ground. Adam and Eve were created. You and I were procreated, meaning that we came into existence as a result of the biological system that God put in place for human life to begin. Birds and bees kind of stuff. Do I need to go into detail? Of course, the one exception to that is the birth of Jesus Christ. Supernaturally conceived by a virgin, but born naturally to that same virgin. Born through a natural process. That is, by the way, why Jesus Christ could be both 100% God and 100% man. He was The God-man. But can you imagine how it was back then in the Garden of Eden? Absolute, perfect, complete paradise. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the Garden of Eden wasn't a, a mythological metaphor. It was a real place. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 that... Uh, the Garden of Eden, he doesn't tell us exactly where it was. He gives us a general idea that it lie between Tigris, the Euphrates, and two other rivers. Interestingly enough, modern anthropology and archaeology believe that civilization began right in that very part of the world. The Bible told us that thousands of years ago. They could just look that one up. But, but can you imagine how, how it was back then in, in the garden? I mean, absolute, complete, perfect, total paradise. And I'm sure it was beautiful. I have no doubt the garden and the trees. And I'm sure all that was, was beautiful. But, but I think what made it such perfect paradise, well, I mean, think about it. Think about it in the context of your life on a daily basis. No, no worries. No problems with stress. No problems with anxiety, no health problems, no family problems, no marital problems, no financial problems, no work problems, no problems at all. In fact, the word problem didn't even exist in Adam and Eve's vocabulary. That's paradise. And then one day, temptation came knocking. Now, we simply don't have time today, ladies and gentlemen, to get into all of the intricacies of why God would allow temptation to enter in, why God would allow choice. But let me just say this, that without choice, if you and I do not freely have the ability to choose, even to do wrong, if we do not have the the freedom to do that, then I... Submit to you that there is no real freedom at all. If I cannot choose to do wrong, and I'm forced only to do right, then I really have not made a choice to do right. And I have always been convinced that it has been God's desire and design that you and me and every other person would be free to choose to love God. Because love that is not freely chosen is not real love at all. 
Because love cannot be forced, it must be given. And so there they are in the garden. The choice is clear. God's instructions were clear. Adam and Eve knew what they could do. Adam and Eve knew what they could not do. And it really had nothing to do, not really, it wasn't really about choosing to eat the forbidden fruit or to not eat the forbidden fruit. What it really was about was obeying God or disobeying God. What it really came down to was going with God or going against God. That's ultimately what it always comes down to, ladies and gentlemen. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve believed the lie. They ate the fruit and they blew it. They blew the life, the life that they had. They blew it big time. The text indicates that the moment they blew it, they knew it. They knew that they had disobeyed God. And all of a sudden they began to have to deal with the shame and the guilt And the fear, those feelings, those problems, those things that they'd never experienced before in their life, all of a sudden, all of those things came rushing into their life. And they knew that they had blown it because the text says that as God began to approach, as God began to to come near to where they were, they dove behind a bush to try and hide their sin from God, as if hiding behind a bush would hide your sin from an all-knowing God. But let me tell you who I think, didn't try to hide it. Satan. Now, I know the text doesn't specifically say this, so I want to be careful about not abusing the text here in Genesis chapter 3, where we'll be in just a moment. I want to be careful not to to overstep. The text doesn't, doesn't specifically say, but what this text does say is that Adam and Eve, as soon as they disobeyed God and they heard God coming, that they're scrambling for cover. But it doesn't say a word about what Satan was doing. And the text certainly implies that Satan was standing right there when all this took place. When he he tempted them, when he deceived them, when he got them to partake of the fruit and as God approached. The implication is that he is right there. Adam and Eve are scrambling for cover. They're diving behind bushes. And I'm just going to tell you what I think. I think Satan just stood there just as proud as proud could be. Remember, it was pride that caused Satan to fall in the first place. It was pride that caused Satan to lose his place in the paradise of heaven. God cast him out of the paradise of heaven. And so now Satan is determined to mess up paradise for God's children once and for all. I, I'm, I'm just, I, can just, I can just see in my baptized imagination. I can just see as God is approaching this smirk. On Satan's face. I can just, in my mind, I can hear him saying to himself, Look what I've done. I have totally wrecked God's pathetic little plan with these pathetic little creatures that he has created and decided to love. Now let's see what he can do. Now let's see what happens. And there's Adam and Eve over in the corner, cowering down, hiding in their guilt and their sin. And their shame, saying, what, what have we done? What have we done? Oh, please, God, tell me this is not the end. God, please tell me that this is not how all of this turns out. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place in your life? Have you ever felt that feeling in your life where you have so totally blown it, so totally 
missed it, made such a mess out of some situation that you found yourself saying, oh, please, God, tell me this is not how it turns out. Tell me that this is not the end. Please tell me that this is not what's going to become of me. In that moment, Adam and Eve and you and I and everybody else in this crazy world need something. They need hope. And hope comes to us of all places in a birth announcement found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I invite you to turn your Bibles there if you brought a copy of God's Word with you. Just one verse. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It is what I'm calling the announcement of hope. Because in that moment, when it seemed like all was lost, Adam and Eve needed hope. And in the moments of our lives, ladies and gentlemen, whether, whether it's a, a sinful decision that we've made in our life, maybe it's a circumstance, whatever it is, you and I need hope in our lives. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is in the midst of God comes to them after they've made this, this, this sinful choice to rebel against God, to disobey God. He approaches them. He approaches uh, Adam and Eve. Satan apparently is there as, he begins, as God begins to engage him in this conversation. And Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we find these words. And I, this is God speaking, and I will put enmity... Between you and the woman. He's speaking to Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. And you shall bruise him on the heel. There it is. One verse. One prophetic verse. Spoken thousands of years ago. That tells of a promise of hope. Would you pray with me? Father... Um, thank you that the mess that life is and sometimes can be that can leave us feeling hopeless doesn't actually have to be that way. There is hope. There was hope for Adam and Eve. There was hope for us. As we look at this verse and talk about these things, this birth announcement, Lord God, I pray that you would give clarity, that you'd open our hearts and our minds to hear what your word says. Thank you so much. I truly am always honored to be your messenger boy. Father God, may I accurately deliver the truth of your word to what I hope are hungry hearts, maybe hurting hearts, maybe hopeless hearts. May they hear of the hope today that you bring to us, even found all the way back in the Garden of Eden. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, There's a couple of ideas, uh, a couple of Uh, truths about this birth announcement from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that I want to try and bring out to you uh, this morning. Uh, First idea looks like this. The announcement of hope, which is what I'm calling this, the announcement of hope tells us who is in charge. Adam and Eve are there in the garden in this paradise, just another day in paradise. Every day is perfect. Every day is, is without problems or trials or difficulties or whatever all that it it might be. The temptation comes. They give in to the temptation. They make their free choices. And all suddenly seems lost. All suddenly seems hopeless. Because the fall has occurred. They have brought the sin curse upon themselves and upon 
the world. And they needed to know in the midst of this calamity who it was that was in charge. And let me just kind of start this by telling you who was not in charge, okay? It's not Satan. Satan was not in charge, and that was for sure. It was, it's very clear that he probably thought he was. It was very clear that Satan, no doubt, thought that he had, had messed up God's plans. But ladies and gentlemen, God's never behind the times. Can I just remind you of that? God, God is always ahead of the times. God's always acting, not reacting. No doubt Satan thought, yeah, I've got, I've got this, I've got this, and look at what I've done. Look at the, the, these pitiful creatures, they're never going to have what God wanted them to have. Oh, I've, I've just wrecked this whole thing. No, Satan's not in charge. And that's very clear from what God says. It's not Satan. And it's not self. It, it's, not, it's not you and me. It's not mankind. And it was important for Adam and Eve to hear that. Because you've probably experienced this in your life as well. At times when you have, have messed up, you just feel like, I, I've ruined this thing. It, it'll never come out now. It, this can never be right. I've, I've, I've blown it with my kids, or I've blown it with my spouse, or, I, or I've messed up this situation at work, or I, I've lost this person's uh, uh, trust in me, or, or there, whatever it is that, that might be. Uh, we think, oh, look what I've done. Listen, God's, God's never caught off guard by our wrong choices. When God comes on the scene, you notice there's no, there's no fretting on God's part. There's no, you know, he's not wringing his hands. Oh my goodness, look what has happened. Look what Adam and Eve have done. Oh, what are, what are we going to do now? God's never behind. God is always ahead. Now listen to me. That doesn't mean that God wanted Adam and Eve to sin. He didn't. It doesn't mean that God wasn't disappointed when Adam and Eve made wrong choices. He was. But what it means is that God is never behind. God is always ahead. See, it's not Satan. It's not self. What it is is a sovereign God. That's who's in charge. That's who's in control. The sovereign God. By the way, to be sovereign simply basically means to be in control of everything. God is large and in charge on the scene. Oh, it, it may look bad to man right now. It may look like that... that Satan has wrecked God's plans, but in fact, he has not. Listen to me. I don't know everybody here. I don't know what else going on in everybody's life, but I know who does. And I know no matter what your life may look like at this time, God is sovereign. God is on his throne. And God, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, God always, always, always has a plan. And we see that in Genesis 3.15, in this promise of hope. Um, most of you probably wouldn't know uh, the name Tony Campalo. Tony Campalo was, is a Christian author and speaker. Tony uh, tells this story about uh, an event that occurred a, a number of years ago now when he was invited to speak at a uh, small Bible college in Pennsylvania. Campalo says uh, he got there, he was there early, and he was getting ready for the chapel service. It was a chapel service for the, for the college. And before the service, uh, eight men, I don't know if they were professors or they were just, I, I don't know what, but eight men who were there that day asked Tony if he would kneel down so that they could lay their hands on him and just pray over him in, in that service that day. And Tony said he certainly always appreciated the prayers 
and was glad to receive them. He said, but the thing about it was, he said, when he, when he knelt down uh, and the men began to pray, he said, all of them prayed a long time. And he said, and that's okay. I mean, you know, it's, you don't want to, it's okay. They prayed a long time. But he said, but, but what it was about the prayers, he said, was that the longer they prayed, the harder they pressed down on his head. And uh, he said it was, he was truly, he just felt like his neck was going to snap off. And he's like, he's, he's fighting to, to keep his head balanced because they're just pressing down as they're praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And he said what, what appeared to him to make it worse was that uh, their prayers just kind of began to, to ramble. Uh, he said this one guy began to pray uh, about some totally different person. He wasn't praying for Tony. He wasn't praying for the chapel service. He was praying about something totally different. Tony Campala said, the, the guy said, Lord, uh, I, I just want to pray right now today for Charlie Stolfitz. Lord, you know Charlie Stolfitz. Lord, you, you know where Charlie Stolfitz lives. Lord, you know, lives about a mile down the road here. Lord, you know in that silver trailer. Lord, you know the trailer. You know where Charlie lives, that little trailer on the right-hand side. Tony said he started to interrupt the guy and tell him he was pretty sure that God probably knew where the guy lived. But he didn't. He, he let him go on and keep praying. He said, he said, Lord, you know what's going on with Charlie Stolfitz. Charlie Stolfitz told me today, Lord God, he told me this morning that he's going to leave his wife and his three kids. Lord, would you, would you move on that situation? Lord, would you, would you work in, in their lives? Lord God, would you, would you do something to stop that from happening in Charlie Stolfitz's life? Tony said when the prayer finally ended and his neck recovered, he, uh, he, he got up, he went in, the, they, did the, they had the chapel service and everything went fine. And, you know, after the chapel service, maybe they had lunch, I don't know what all, but, but when he wound everything up, he got in his car to drive home. He said he got out on the Pennsylvania Turnpike and uh, he, he got out there and he saw a hitchhiker. He felt compelled to pick him up, so he stopped and picked up the hitchhiker, got in the car, went down the road a little ways, and Tony says, hi, I'm Tony Campalo, what's yours? And the guy says, I'm Charlie Stolfitz. Tony, Tony Campalo says, he, he, without even saying a word, he got off at the next exit. He turned around and headed back in the exact direction he had just come. He said, Charlie kind of looked at him. He said, Mr., where are you taking me? Tony Campolo said, I'm taking you home. <laughs> he looked at him kind of funny. He said, well, what do you mean you're taking me home? He said, you just left your wife and three kids, didn't you? He said, Charlie Stolfitz's eyes got big as saucers. Got like this big. And he says, yeah, yeah, that's right. Tony Paul said, Charles Silva's got as far, as close to that passenger door as he could possibly get. And he just stared, just stared at Tony. Kampala said, then I really blew him away. He said, I turned down the road, right, the road he lived on. So I went right by the college. So I went straight down to that silver trailer, turned right, right in the driveway and pulled right and put it in park right in front of his driveway. Charlie Stolfitz said, how did you know where I live? Tony, Tony Campolo said, God told me. And he believed that God had told him. They got out of the car. Charlie Stolfitz went to the door. He opened the trailer door. And he opened the door. There's wife was standing there. And she excitedly screamed out, you're back. And Charlie Stolfitz leaned in. He started whispering in her ears. And the more he whispered, the wider her eyes got. And Tony Campolo said, he said to them, now, listen. He said, he said this with real authority. Two of you. Come in here, sit down, and the two of you are going to listen to me. Tony said, boy, did they listen. <laughs> and he said that day, he had the privilege of bringing those two young people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, 
Listen, God's always, God's always ahead of our messes. God's always ahead of the stuff that seems so hopeless to us. And that's what it's teaching us here, that there's hope in this. Oh, Adam, Eve, I, I know it looks hopeless. I know it looks like you've blown it. But listen to me, I'm still on my throne. I still have my plan. And I'm still going to accomplish what needs to be done. The devil may think he's won. You may think you've blown it. There will be consequences for the choices that you have made. But I am in charge. I am in charge. I, notice the text says, I will put enmity. I will do this thing. This is my chance to show you that I'm in charge. And what Satan may have thought he was destroying actually was providing for God an opportunity to show just how much he loved us and his creation. This announcement of hope tells us who is in charge. Don't ever forget that in your lives. Listen, don't ever forget that what you may think may be wrecked or what you may think that, as I said, that you have blown or that, that somebody else has blown. God doesn't leave us in our messes. He doesn't leave us in despair. doesn't leave us distraught. God is there. And he goes before everything. He's never caught off guard. He's an all-knowing God. Here's the second idea today. The announcement of hope tells us what will be the outcome. That latter part of verse 15, verse 15b, says this. uh, It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Watch this. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Already... I can just, like I said earlier, I can just see Satan. I can see this smirk on his face. I can see this kind of grin on his face, this thought of of what he's done. And as God approaches and steps up and begins to exclaim with absolute authority, I can just see that smirk fall off of Satan's face as he discovers that God is not caught off guard. This idea of, I will bruise, you shall bruise him on the heel That can fit no one, that prophetically can fit no one except Jesus Christ. Satan had been trying to stop and has been trying to stop Christ from coming and from accomplishing his purposes, ladies and gentlemen, from the very beginning. He he started it back in the garden trying to disrupt God's plan. When Jesus Christ was born, the event that we'll be celebrating here in a few weeks, when Jesus Christ was born, Satan tried to influence Herod to kill all of the the babies to ensure that, that Jesus would be killed in there so that his so that his purpose in coming would never be fulfilled. But he could not. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, Satan came to him and tried to tempt him to to come over to his side so that his message and his purposes wouldn't be fulfilled. But he could not. In Luke chapter 4, he tried to influence the, the people of Jesus' own hometown to throw him off of a cliff to stop this message that he was proclaiming. But he could not. The reason he could not was because God was in charge. And because God is in charge, God tells us what the outcome will be. One of the things it tells us about the outcome is that there will be a conflict. There has been a conflict from the very beginning. It started that day in the garden and it has continued on ever since. It is the struggle of godliness 
against ungodliness in the world. It is the struggle of good versus evil. It is the struggle of right versus wrong. It is the universal war that rages all around us all the time in all different ways. There is a conflict, and God said there would be. I will put enmity, there will be strife between you and the one, between her her seed and your seed. A reference to those who would desire to be godly and honor God and glorify God and those who would desire to not. That's the struggle that has gone on since the beginning of time. I guess you all saw, right, the news, America at its finest on Black Friday. That actually begins now Thursday night. Everybody see the story? The woman in California who went into the Walmart, pepper spray in hand, began pepper spraying other customers to clear a path for the Xbox uh, video console games. Got her game too, buddy. Got it. Got out of there. Pepper sprayed them. Pepper sprayed them all. <laughs> You YouTube it. There's videos. People are going, ah, they're like crying, screaming, crying, tears and stuff. Pepper sprayed them over a video game. We, we had Thanksgiving. I said we had a turducken this year. We had, we had Thanksgiving at my mom's uh, cabin in West Jefferson. And Thursday night, which is when Black Friday began at Walmart, uh, Cindy and Travis and Lauren went to the Walmart in West Jefferson. And there are two women in there got arrested for fighting over sheets. Sheets. Happy Thanksgiving. In jail. Now, oh, are you saying that the devil made that woman pepper spray those people? Well, I know I don't have all the, uh, I know I don't have all the facts and uh, she probably got her side to the story. But more than likely, it was an uncompassionate, greedy heart that made that woman do that. But what I'm saying is that there has always been this war raging between God and those who would choose God and His ways and those who would not. It's a conflict. And listen, you you just have to, you can't be naive about this in life. You have to understand that there's more here than than just meets the eye. And I tell couples this all the time in, in counseling, premarital counseling or marital counseling, is that one of the things that they need to understand is that, that there is an enemy who absolutely hates you. And he wants to destroy your life. And he wants to destroy your marriage. And he will do that if you allow him to. Not because he really gives a rip one way or the other about you, except that, that you are a child of God. And so if he can hurt you, then the idea is he can hurt God. And it does grieve God's heart to see us suffer and in pain when we don't have to be. It's it's just naive to not realize that there is a battle that goes on. We see it in the world around us all the time between ideas that would be considered godly and those that would not. There's a conflict. But he also tells us in there about this ending that there is a cross, that that's just part of it. Again, he says uh, about this idea that you will bruise, you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, in in giving that prophetic message, God is not downplaying the severity of the cross. 
The cross, the crucifixion, was as vile a form of of death as existed in that day. And it is my personal belief that all the powers of hell, that all the demonic forces and those that would join with him were all invoked on, on what Christ experienced on the cross that day. Your sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world heaped upon him. Suffering like you and I will never fully understand. Not just physically, as bad as that would be, but a spiritual suffering that you and I never will understand and quite honestly will never actually have to endure because he endured it for us. And yes, he died physically. But the message of the prophecy is that it is not a death that leads to eternal death. That it was a death that in fact would lead to life. You see... Death can never keep the maker of life down. He's not downplaying the severity of the crucifixion. He's just making sure that Satan and all of us understand that this is a wound that will not end in death. That this is not the end. There's a cross. Christ was going to have to go to that cross. He was going to come. He was going to take on the forces of evil. He would go to the cross. He would lay down his life so that what Satan thought was a death blow to God's plan actually turned out to be a death blow to Satan because God paid the sin bill for you and for me to make it possible that we could actually have eternal life. And the cross was necessary because the cross gave us a conqueror. That's the end result. Jesus Christ is the conqueror, ladies and gentlemen. He conquered sin He conquered death, he conquered the grave, and he conquered Satan. Loser! He conquered. He brought victory for you and me in this event on the cross. Can I just remind you, we're going to get deeper into this next few weeks as we continue to look at these birth announcements. Can I just show you a couple passages? Romans chapter 8 and and verse 1 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for, for those who are in Christ Jesus. No, it's my favorite verse in the whole Bible, I think. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Do you find hope in that? Old things are passed away. I'm so glad the old things in my life. I mean, I know I'm still, but I just, when I think about my life and things I've done, old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's hope. First Peter Uh, 3.18 says this, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. He's the conqueror. Again, not diminishing what the cross was, but it's probably best, even though in in the original Hebrew, the same verb is used to describe those two different events, you shall strike or bruise his heel, he shall bruise, strike your head. The same Hebrew verb is used. It's probably best to use two different English noun or verbs to translate it, simply because they're two different objects in the sentence. And obviously, striking someone on the heel is not nearly as severe as striking someone on the head. Obviously, a wound to the head is much more severe than a wound to the heel. Would you agree? You don't, you don't believe me? Hillary, Ernie, come up here. We'll try. No, I'm just kidding. Don't. No. That's why I, I love the New, New Living Translation uh, of this. It says this. 
he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Oh, he'll, he'll die. He'll go to the cross. He'll suffer. He'll bleed. He'll, he'll die. But his death will crush your head, Satan, because he's the conqueror. That's the promise of Genesis 3.15. That's the announcement that brings hope. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Adam and Eve that day in the garden needed, they needed hope. They needed to know that, that yes, there was going to be suffering and yes, there were going to be consequences. Isn't it interesting that this promise comes right in the context of judgment? God's bringing judgment. He's telling them this is what's going to happen to you as a result of your decision. But at the same time, he's throwing out this this safety line of hope to Adam and Eve and to you and me by saying it doesn't end here. Satan is deceived. You have given in. You've blown it big time. But this is not the end. Adam and Eve needed that hope and so do you and I. Not only for our eternal destinies, ladies and gentlemen, but for the mess that our lives can be. Can I get an amen? For the stuff that can come into our lives. For the situations. Listen, our fault, somebody else's fault, nobody's fault. But the stuff of life that wears you out and wears you down and brings you to a place that you feel like you're just going to break. And God says, no, no, I've got hope for you. I've got hope. I'm going to send one. I'm going to send someone. He's going to make a way. He's going to provide hope. Hope. Adam and Eve certainly needed some after they sinned, and it looked like all was lost. As we heard Pastor Clay say today, God didn't leave Adam and Eve in their mess. He could have. They made their choices. But God's love came searching for them and gave them what they didn't even think was possible. Hope. You know, I can't think of anything this world needs more these days than hope. There is so much uncertainty in people's lives, maybe even yours. God's announcement of hope given way back in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve is the same announcement of hope He sends to us today. Adam and Eve could look forward by faith to a time when God would send His Son into the world to crush Satan and bring victory to God's children. You and I can look back in faith to God's only begotten Son sent into the world to rescue us from the mess we make of our lives when we leave God out. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. 
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.